Hi, I'm Hannah from Niles, Illinois, a student pharmacist attending Midwestern University College of Pharmacy, Downers Grove. You're listening to Pharmacy Forward, a podcast about transforming knowledge into action. Greetings and welcome to the Pharmacy Forward podcast. My name is Stuart Haynes and my co-host today is Anna Rett, a PGY1 community pharmacy practice resident, and we're from the University of Mississippi School of Pharmacy. Hey everyone. In this episode of Pharmacy Forward, we are talking about job satisfaction. What makes a job satisfying or dissatisfying? How to find a job that best fits your strengths? How to craft a job to make it more satisfying? and how to transition to a different job when you're no longer feeling satisfied. Well, I think our topic today is really important because unfortunately, a lot of pharmacists are not feeling so great about their jobs at the moment. Indeed, in recent years, an increasing percentage of pharmacists as well as other health professionals indicate they are dissatisfied or highly dissatisfied with their current position and even their career choice when we look at national employment surveys. There are probably a number of explanations why this is happening today. And in this episode, we'll explore some of the causes for student pharmacists, pharmacy residents, and recent graduates hearing about the level of dissatisfaction and career regret in the profession can really be discouraging. And job dissatisfaction may be one of the reasons why the reports of burnout have increased. So in this episode, we want to explore ways we all can find employment and career paths that we love and enjoy. Definitely. I'm really excited about this discussion because I'm a new practitioner. As a PGY1 community pharmacy resident, I'll be entering into the workforce very soon. With hopefully a full career ahead of me, I'm super interested in learning what makes a job enjoyable and what I can do to find the right fit for me. Our guests today are Dr. Andy Trainer from the University of Minnesota College of Pharmacy in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and Dr. Brent Reed from the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy, and also a doctoral student in organizational science at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. Uh, Dr. Trainer has a strong interest in leadership development and well-being in the workplace. And Dr. Reed has given several presentations and written extensively about person, job fit, and job crafting. So I'm confident that our guests will have a lot of insights into job satisfaction and how we, as pharmacists, can take steps to increase the sense of mastery and purpose that we feel through our work. So Andy, Brent, welcome to the Pharmacy Forward podcast. Well, thanks, Stuart and Anna. It's a, it's a pleasure to join you and Brent to talk about job satisfaction. So I look forward to the conversation. Yeah, Anna and Stuart, thanks for having us. I'm really looking forward to our discussion today. So, Andy and Brent, I know there probably isn't any recipe for creating a perfect job, a job where we are satisfied every moment of every day. But I want to start us off today by asking, what do you think, from your experience, are some of the key things that contribute to feelings of satisfaction at work? Well, Anna, I think I think you started off in exactly the right direction that that there isn't a new recipe for creating a, a perfect job um, where we're satisfied every moment and and that balance between uh, what some have referred to as our experiencing self and our remembering self and and balancing between that. There's definitely times uh, when when you're not going to be satisfied, but like you said, um, there's a few th- key things to focus in on. 
a few of the themes that I'll focus on have connections to probably some more of the popular literature, um, but but they really connect and make a lot of sense to me in terms of of my experiences. So I'm going to start off with with just what achieves motivation and what has me looking forward to work every day. When I come in, where's my energy level and what's contributing to that? I think within the job, there's three things that that Dan Pink has articulated in his book Drive that I really resonate with, and that's number one, autonomy. Number two, mastery, and, and number three, purpose. And with autonomy, mastery, and purpose, do I have a say in how this work is done and how I approach this work? Or am I told exactly what to do? With mastery, I, I'd like to have the ability to be really good at this and feel like this plays to, to strengths and the feelings of strengths. And, and third, I need to connect to that purpose and that this has a higher meaning. I feel like these themes really resonated across a lot of career types. I grew up on a dairy farm in Western Wisconsin, and my dad would talk a lot about work and and life with me. It was a theme of a lot of conversations, whether at the dinner table or whether um, out working with our, our animals or in the fields. And those things really resonated across his career and the different things that he did, having the ability to really be his own boss as, as a farmer the ability to feel the satisfaction of a job well done and to do well in caring for animals and caring for the land and a real connection to that purpose that the people were being fed, that he was raising his family. And so whatever you do, I feel like that's a theme. I really love those things, uh, Andy. You know, just a, a few things that I, I would add to that. You know, I think when you, when you look at the popular leadership uh, or popular job satisfaction literature, you'll often hear um, how important it is to find your why. And I think that's great advice for making broad decisions uh, about your life. But I think the one downside is that it often fails to produce the, the kind of detailed thinking that, that's often necessary for, for truly finding fulfilling work. Uh, Christina Maslach, who's one of the leading burnout researchers, you know, she points out that it's rarely these big sweeping problems that, that causes us to become dissatisfied with work. And instead, it's it's what she often calls the, the pebbles in our shoes, you know, those small things that really add up and, and accumulate over time. When I ask students why they picked pharmacy as a career, you know, they'll, they'll often say to me that, that they chose this profession because they wanted to help people. And I think that's great. But so do lawyers and, and social workers and chaplains. And, and there's so many different careers that allow you to help other people. And so I really try to challenge students to, to peel back that, that top layer and think about how do they want to help people to, to really pay closer attention to those those small everyday things that that make them feel um, fulfilled so for example if they're working as a pharmacy technician and they love the opportunity to interact with patients then i think a path that that provides a lot of direct patient care opportunities you know that's going to be a great fit for them but if they find themselves avoiding those kinds of interactions, then they might need to be thinking about a less traditional pharmacy career. And so I think that we're fortunate that the PharmD degree is, is so versatile and it allows for that kind of flexibility to, to match you with the things that you find fulfilling in, in your everyday work. So I think many people have this mistaken belief that job satisfaction is primarily related to pay and benefits and, and job title. And unfortunately, all too often I hear about students and colleagues who pursue jobs primarily because they're going to get paid more, or it's a big upgrade in responsibilities based on a job title. 
But once they take the job, these superficial reasons don't really bring the kind of satisfaction that they'd hoped. Indeed, it, it's often had the opposite effect. So let's talk about the flip side. What are some of the things that can diminish our sense of dissatisfaction in our work? And what are some of the red flags we should be looking for and, and trying to avoid? You know, in general, um, the research suggests that money it can be an effective motivator, but only to a point. That is, you know, once you take care of your, your basic needs, you can pay the bills, you can put food on the table, you can have a roof over your head. Once you're able to do those things, money really starts to lose that, that powerful motivating force. And so once you've taken money out of the equation, I think one of the most helpful frameworks for, for thinking through what makes us satisfied at work is what's known as the job demands resources model. And essentially the, the premise of this model is that our satisfaction at work is a, is a balance between the demands that are placed on us and then the resources that we have to, to deal with them. So there are two types of demands. Uh, the first type of demands are known as challenges. And, and these include things like workload, deadlines, the complexity of our work. And so actually a reasonable amount of challenge demands can be motivating. It can lead to greater satisfaction at work. Um, but you know, we have to pay very close attention to those to ensure they, they don't become insurmountable, which can have the opposite effect. Now, the second type of demands, those are known as hindrances, and, and those include things like organizational politics, um, interpersonal conflicts with people at work, uh, or even getting bullied or harassed, you know, the, the types of things that you can't overcome by just putting in more effort. Now, every workplace is going to have some level of demands, or you know, otherwise I don't think we'd be able to call it work. Um, so I think the important question is, and this is the other part of that model, is do we have enough resources to deal with those demands? So for example, are we getting enough support from our coworkers or from our supervisor? Or do we have enough autonomy to make decisions about how we do our work? What I really like about the job demands resources model is that it is such a clear illustration of how you know, job satisfaction is, is not just about us. It's, it's not just our, our level of resilience or, or how well we cope with the demands of work. You know, it's on the organization, too. And so I think if you take a step back and, and you look at your job and you see that the demands are stacking up, the resources are not, that should be a major red flag. I, I think one thing that we need to realize is is nothing's going to be perfect but are we striving i guess the red flag i would worry about is if if i ever feel like there's there's no hope there's no potential to address these very important issues that affect satisfaction then that's a that's a serious red flag but but some other red flags i think that we're looking for within our organization is is just related to you know a lot of turnover and and why that turnover is is happening and that's another point to look at is, is the customer unhappy um, in, in terms of whoever that customer is? What, what are they saying about this place and the work that's, that's being done? What are, what are people saying about their work and their coworkers from the body language, from participation in events, from, from holding back um, in terms of really having good, honest conversations that are aimed at doing better, being better? and um, lack of confidence in, in leadership. I'm really glad to hear about some of those characteristics to watch out for, especially since, as a resident, I'm going to be looking for my first position in the not-too-distant future. 
When it comes to finding that new job, I definitely want to make sure that it's a good fit for me. Do you have any advice on what I should be doing during my job search and when I'm out on interview to make certain I've found the right job, one that really fits me? Yeah, it is very important. I think it relates to the concept of satisfaction. It is you know, technically another measure that encompasses things such as what you bring to the table with personality and interests and and values and preferences to what the job or the organization offers. So I, I guess that's one point to realize what that fit really means and to make sure that you're in touch with that, honest with yourselves, ready to probe deep with the mindset that you're interviewing that organization as much as they're interviewing you. And I tell that to students that are applying and, and anyone that, that we're hiring. So, but realizing that there is no perfect fit when it comes to a first position uh, coming out of residency, right? I, I think we have to think about this in terms of a progression. I think prioritization of what is most vital to fit for you is important and assessing a career trajectory based on that current fit is important. So ask yourself this, whatever the X's and the Y's are, does position X put you in a place for position Y? So there's a long-term planning and envisioning, and there's what does this position do? So a person might not, not might not be in that ideal position from day one post-residency until they retire, but at every step you should be thinking, is there a potential for growth? And I can I pull experiences forward? And I, I think finally, one last thing, whether it's the first position or whether it's that transition, keep in mind that that all new shiny things, if you will, are usually pretty attractive. And and there's this honeymoon phase. And and afterwards, sometimes the shine has a tend to, to fade away. And and what is the openness to adapt and change and, and invest in people? Is that present? So questions like what what does your organization do to to help you achieve autonomy and mastering purpose? How do they support your professional development, your growth, the presence of mentors, whether that's formal or informal? And I think if you see that, I think that what new graduates need to bring to the table is the patience for things to evolve um, and a realization that the grass always seems greener. You know, Andy, I love that you brought up the the honeymoon phase. Um, you know, that's uh, there's this interesting line of research that looks at, you know, whether a job meets our expectations or not, and then the effect that that then has on our job satisfaction. I think that so many of us start new jobs with uh, unrealistic expectations and and how great everything is going to be. You know, I've certainly been guilty of that myself, but inevitably those expectations are going to come crashing back down to earth at some point, which can lead to, to what researchers call the, the hangover phase. And so I think there are two main ways to, to prevent this, this roller coaster of expectations and, and reality. I think the first is to really find a job that aligns with what you see as being meaningful work. So in other words, you know, not the money, not the benefits, because with a few exceptions, most of those features are going to be pretty similar across the board, or at least they're not going to be drastically different enough to, to make differences in your long-term satisfaction. Now, the factors that, that you find meaningful, those are going to be unique to you. But some of the things that I've encouraged students and residents to think about are, um, like Andy said earlier, autonomy. So, you know, how important is it to you that, that you're allowed to make decisions about how you do your work? Workload. So not just the amount of work that you're asked to do, but is it the right kind of work? So if you feel really drawn to direct patient care, a job that has a lot of administrative responsibilities you know, might not be the right fit for you. 
support. So, you know, if you have a problem at work, how well do your leaders respond to that? Um, what about your coworkers? Um, and then community, you know, how important is it to you that you get to know your coworkers or that they get to know you both inside and, and outside of work? Now, second, once you've figured out what kinds of things are the most important to you, the next thing to do is then craft your expectations uh, around that job by getting as realistic a preview of the job as you possibly can. And the purpose of this is to assess how well that job will fit your needs. Now, sometimes people get lucky and a, a position opens up at the place where they're doing their training and they already absolutely love the organization and, and they want to stick around. But there are some other ways to get realistic job previews as well. So, for example, during your job interviews, you could even ask to spend some time with someone whose job is the most similar to yours. So when I was interviewing for my first job, several places actually arranged for me to uh, spend some time on rounds or spend some time in clinic to really get a sense of what things were going to be like. And I think finally, you know, don't be afraid to use your network. You know, reach out to some of the people who you know who might work in those organizations or uh, you know, perhaps some residents that you might know who are currently doing their, uh, their training there. Now, if you do these two things, I, you know, I can't guarantee that you'll be satisfied with your job forever, but I do think that it can get you past those, those first six to 12 months that are really so critical to shaping our, our long-term perspectives about an organization. So some of our listeners are already at a job and, and perhaps aren't feeling so great about what they get to do most days. And perhaps the job was really gratifying at first, and they've gotten into a bit of a rut and doing the same old, same old every day. And so they might be looking to do something new. Of course, one could switch employers or career paths, but that's not always feasible, especially if you're invested a lot of your time in a certain organization or institution. And in general, you believe in the mission of the institution and you believe they've treated you fairly. So I'm familiar with the concept of job crafting or shaping your job so that it capitalizes on your strengths. And indeed, I've heard Brent speak about this concept at, at national pharmacy conferences. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. What exactly is job crafting and how might a pharmacist or any health professional for that matter craft their jobs so that it's more satisfying. You know, there are a couple of schools of, of thought on job crafting. You and I have previously given presentations where we've talked about the, uh, the approach that was developed by uh, Amy Resnuski and several of her colleagues where you can craft your work in, in three different ways, the, the tasks, the relationships, and then how you think about uh, the work. But as I've learned more about job crafting, I think the other model that I really like and I think is probably a, a bit more intuitive for pharmacists is, is built on that concept of job demands and job resources that I mentioned earlier. And so that model also consists of three types of job crafting. The first is uh, seeking challenge demands. Now, I, I imagine that most people in healthcare would probably say they've got more than enough challenges, um, but that might not always be the case. You know, maybe you had to, uh, to take a job because you were limited to a certain geographic area, uh, and maybe you're dissatisfied because you're not able to practice the top of your training uh, in that job, or, or maybe you're just bored. Uh, and so in that case, uh, seeking additional challenges like taking on new projects or taking on new responsibilities, you know, that might be the right answer. 
The second type of, of crafting is avoiding those hindrance demands. You know, as I talked about a little bit earlier, uh, hindrances are universally bad. Um, so the question is, how can you find ways to minimize them? So for example, if there's a lot of ambiguity in your responsibilities and, and you feel like you're being pulled in, in multiple different directions, uh, maybe try meeting with your supervisor to get some of those, those expectations clarified. Um, if it's a toxic personality at work, uh, maybe finding ways to avoid that person, like changing your clinic schedule or, or asking to be re reassigned to a different area. And then the third type of crafting is seeking resources. And, and this is an approach that I think can be helpful no matter what job you're in. So let's say um, that you're dissatisfied with the lack of autonomy uh, in your job. So you could ask for a meeting with your supervisor and, and maybe see if there are some opportunities to make more decisions uh, about your work. Or maybe alternatively, they, they've rolled out a new initiative at work and, and maybe you're feeling a little bit over your head. Uh, maybe asking if there are opportunities for additional training or maybe there's some funding to attend a workshop where you can really build uh, the skills that you, that you might be missing. And I think the important thing with, with all three types uh, of job crafting is that there's, there's no one size fits all solution. The, the best way to craft is really going to depend on your situation. But I think the good news is, is that with, with all three types uh, of job crafting that I mentioned, um, they've all been linked to, to, to a lower risk of job dissatisfaction and a lower risk of burnout over time. It's really reassuring to know that there are a lot of ways to tailor a job into something you feel like you're good at. I'm definitely going to keep those in mind in my future jobs. But there is one thing I want to make sure we talk about today, and that's what to do when you've given your best effort, maximized your strengths, done all that you can to craft the job into something you're satisfied with, but it just isn't happening. We're no longer finding fulfillment in the work we're doing. When is it time to consider a job or even a career change? And how do you go about doing it? Well, that's, that is a great question, Anna. And it is one that, that I recommend proceeding with great care, whether it's a, a honeymoon phase and, or the hangover. And the first potential action, right, is, is to, to do that jump ship. And there's, a, there's, there's times when certainly that's warranted when we feel like we're being abused or in an unhealthy relationship with our job that's manifesting its way in terms of anxiety or poor mental health, poor well-being, and we cannot function in aspects of our life, that's, that's a time, right, when I think that that drastic action really needs to be seriously considered. There are times, though, when you know, things are building up the, the pebbles in the shoe that, that Brent mentioned and, and these feelings and a loss of hope over time starts, starts manifesting and you're wondering if that's the right thing to do, uh, and, but how you go about doing it. And, you know, in some way I'd suggest always being on the lookout for what's next. My, my experience has been that go back to that inner circle and your confidence and people that love you uh, to listen be vulnerable in that situation to talk openly about it so that they can offer advice that they may potentially reach out to a network in, in what I would call a silent phase of thinking about opportunities, looking out for the best for you. So that's why that inner circle needs to be really strong and, and not suspect to break. There's gotta be a lot of trust there. Um, and when things get more active, you need the people that would continue to challenge and question your thinking and emotions. And when you come to decision, you need their support because that, that leaving phase can be difficult. 
So whether it's a job or whether it's a career change in the end, I think you have to reflect on what you've learned and how you can move that forward and be willing to be vulnerable with that experience and, and adjust your expectations as you learn. So in, in all of my previous answers, I've talked about some of the, the research uh, in this area, but I think for this one, I'm going to switch gears a little bit and, and talk about my own personal experiences uh, as, as I'm in the midst of a major career transition right now, as I, as I go back to school full time to pursue a PhD in, in organizational science, you know, when it's comes to the win, I think it's time to start thinking about a change when you start to see the stresses of work having an impact on more than just work. So for me, work was starting to take a toll on my health, and I really didn't like who I was when I was under that much stress. I didn't like how I treated other people. I didn't like how I was treating myself. And so in terms of the how, I I think there are times when, you know, you just have to turn in your notice and and move on. Uh, But I think that the easier approach is a more gradual one. So uh, for me, I just didn't up and decide one day that I was going to go back to school. Um, You know, I started by taking a few classes, you know, really getting my feet wet, um, incorporating some of what I learned, um, you know, in those classes in my current work. And what I was so, what was so interesting about all of that was that the people closest to me, you know, they would tell me how different I seemed when I was doing that, that I would literally light up when I was, when I had the opportunity to, to talk about some of the things that I was learning uh, in those classes. And those are the kinds of, of small signs that I was talking about earlier. Those, those moments where you truly feel um, fulfilled. Now I, I joke with people that, you know, I took a 10 year detour <laughs> to find my path, but I think the truth is I needed that detour. Like I, I think I needed to see what organizational problems look like. Like I needed to see the difference between effective and, and ineffective teamwork. I needed to see what what good and bad leadership looked like. I needed to understand what it means to feel burned out. I think that having those perspectives, it it may it makes me a much better grad student than I would have been otherwise. And I'm hopeful that it's going to make me a better researcher one day. Now I recognize that you know not everybody is at a, a place in their life where they can make a major change like this. But I think if you'll notice that there's one sort of consistent theme in a lot of the things that I've said today, is that it's often the small things that that make the difference about whether we're truly satisfied or not. Well, Andy, Brent, thank you so much for joining us today for the Pharmacy Forward podcast. Uh, And it's been an honor to talk with both of you today. I I know a lot of pharmacy students and residents and pharmacists aren't feeling too great about their job prospects at the moment, and some aren't very happy about their career choice. But I think there are some things that we can do to increase our personal satisfaction by being really intentional about seeking jobs and career paths that are well-suited to us, but also crafting our jobs so that we get to do more of the work that we really enjoy and being with the people we really like working with. Thank y'all so much. This has been awesome. I hope our listeners found this episode really helpful. I know I can't wait to use your advice for years to come. Thanks for listening to Pharmacy Forward a podcast about transforming knowledge into action. If you like this podcast, please subscribe using your favorite podcast app and tell all of your pharmacy friends and colleagues. 
Be sure to rate us and send us your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Pharmacy Forward is produced by the Division of Pharmacy Professional Development at the University of Mississippi School of Pharmacy. For more information about our professional development programs, visit pharmacycpd.org. That's pharmacycpd.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you.